0: Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Well, good morning, Harvest. My name is Eric, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we're continuing in our Isaiah series today. If you'd like to go ahead and make your way there, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 60. And in, in previous parts of the book of Isaiah, yeah. we've looked at how God promised that his people would return to their land so that they could start the rebuilding process. They want to rekindle past glories. They want a great city, just like in the old days. But here in Isaiah 60, God is saying, you really need to look past that. Isaiah envisions a day when the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. As Pastor Peter was saying, a city on a hill, a society of global proportions, filled with people who have come from the ends of the earth to take up residence with God. Last week, as Pastor Peter talked about a life of prayer, he asked us, what is God's will for your life? Christ's likeness in you. You want to know why? Isaiah 60 tells us, because God is preparing you for a life with him. Listen, real Christianity it's not merely the adoption of a new set of beliefs. It's not trying to recruit people to join your religious team. No, real Christianity means that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you so that you can take up residence with God. So Isaiah 60 gives us four realities that I think we should marvel at. First is the light of God's presence. The light of God's presence, the conversion of the nations, the power to change, and the display of God's glory. So first, the light of God's presence. And we're going to start right here in uh, verse 1. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. What's the greatest city you've ever visited? What would you pay your hard-earned money to go see? Maybe those are two different answers for you, but the the point is that people are attracted to glorious things. We want to admire what is admirable. We want to honor what is honorable. We want to praise what is praiseworthy. We, we This is built within us. We, we're made this way. I was talking to some, some guys the other day, and it's like the, the Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry does amazing. are like, I want to talk about that. I want to share that because I think it's amazing. We want to admire these things. We, we want, it feels like it completes it, completes the joy of it. Well, the subject of verse 1 of our passage is Zion, the city of God. That's what the yous are, the yous, the thems. And the light that is rising above it is the light of Christ. Jesus says in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's what's going on here. And Isaiah says that the city of God is a spectacle to behold It's gloriously beautiful. I mean, it's got millions of five-star reviews. People want to go see it. The city is so radiant that those who enter it will be marked by its radiance because the glory of Christ will be on his people. It's so good that the entire world will want to experience it. I've had the privilege of visiting the Great Wall of China a couple of times now. And one of the things that I find unassuming about the Great Wall are the sounds you hear when you're there. I mean, as you're hiking around, and if you've been to the Great Wall, it's, it's, it's a bit of a workout. It's going up and down all around. But the sounds you hear are sounds of Mandarin and English, but also Spanish and Portuguese and Cantonese and Russian and German and French. The Great Wall is a wonder of the world. It's a sight to behold. It's it's remarkable. Millions of people from all around the world will make the trek to Beijing every year just to see it. And Isaiah is saying that the city of God will be like that. It's like that. People from all around the world will come to see it. But do you understand what makes the city of God so distinct? Do you know what people are coming to behold? What makes the city of God so resplendent is not the people. It's not the street food or the nightlife. It's not the skyscrapers or the gifts from foreign nations that adorn it. No, what makes the city so glorious and unlike any other city in the world is its light. And God is the light. It's where God's fullness dwells. If you take away the presence of God from the city, the city loses its glow. It just becomes another city among all the others. And the difference between people who find themselves in the city and who don't is simple. Those who live with God walk in the light, and those who don't walk in darkness. They desire to live in the darkness. And this actually touches on an essential question the Bible wants to answer. The Bible wants to answer, how can sinful people dwell in the presence of a holy and righteous God? The radiance of God's holiness is so powerful. It'll melt us away in our sin. But what we see happening in verse 1 is that the light shines and it doesn't lead to destruction. God's radiance in Christ, it spreads. It shines on the people. And so the implication for us is that citizenship in the the city of God means embracing a new way of life. Darkness and unbelief cover the earth. But God invites us to walk in the light of Christ. In Ephesians 5, Paul says that walking as children of light means embracing a new ethical system. Those who walk in darkness practice darkness. They live according to the desires of their flesh. In more affluent societies around the world today, the educated, rational argument that people make is that the most loving and kind thing you can do is encourage people to feed those desires according to their flesh. Do what makes you happy. Do what you want to do. Do what feeds you. Be you. They live as though freedom means giving into the things you most desire. But children of the light are marked by the Spirit of God. They seek to imitate the life of Christ, they seek to walk not in counterfeit love, real love sacrifices. Now it says we are to love, as in Ephesians 5.2 says, we are to love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's what walking in the light looks like. So here's some questions we ought to consider in our own discipleship. First, what desires, maybe desires that you you think you deserve, that you think you need to feed, what desires do you need to put to death to honor Christ? And second, what habits do you need to take more seriously or do you need to put on to center your life around Christ and his gospel? If you truly desire to walk in the light, You should build your life around Christ, who is the light. Life in the light exposes darkness. It reveals sin. But Christ is also in the light, ready to minister to us the forgiveness of sins. Second, the conversion of the nations. As we keep reading in verse 4, It says, lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar, and your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Keter shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands shall hope for me. The ships of Tarshish first to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. Now, if you read back through, if you look back over verses four through nine, maybe one of the first things you'll notice is a bunch of names of places that don't really mean a whole lot to you, right? Like Ephah and Nebaioth and Midian, all these things. But these places are are Isaiah's shorthand way of saying people from all corners of the world are flocking to the city of God. And they're not just planning a visit. They're coming to take up residence there. When God resides in the city in all his fullness, you don't just come for a visit. You don't just make a trip. You sell everything you have to go live among him. But listen, while Christianity has a growing presence in the world today, the world is clearly not Christian. Have you guys noticed this? A little bit? No? (laughs) All right. Well, it's not, okay? Uh, Right now, there are people in different parts of the world who have little to no access to the gospel. That means there's not a gospel-preaching church nearby, or a Bible translated in their own language, or maybe not even a single Christian within a hundred miles. But here Isaiah is talking about future things. Isaiah is talking about our future. And he says in verse four that your sons shall come from afar and your daughters will be carried on the hip. Meaning that people will come from near and far to the city of God. Some are so close that they can walk there. Others so far that they'll need a boat. But notice also that Isaiah uses familial language. Sons and daughters. He's not talking about infants. He's talking about recent converts. New believers who have surrendered to Jesus coming from all over the world to live under the reign of Christ. How does that happen? He's saying that's, that's the direction that the, the world is moving toward. How? Church, we need to recognize what it means for the nations to come like this. Pastor Andrew Wilson says over 3,000 years ago, Psalmists and prophets started singing about a day when people from distant lands would gather to praise, rejoice in, and learn from the Lord our God. People in Isaiah's day probably didn't know what that looked like. Do yourselves a favor. Look around the room right now, and you can start to imagine it. For the nations to come like this, to this city, Christians today must decide that the gospel is so good that they will leverage their lives to see it advance. So, I want us to consider a little thought experiment. Have you ever considered what it required for the gospel to get to you? Have you ever thought about this? I mean, just take what we're doing right now. What, what, what did people have to endure for the sake of the gospel? that one day a church filled with people from different nations could rent a hall on the first floor of the Wisma Chinese chamber in the Ampong district of Kuala Lumpur to worship God in Jesus' name. And I'm not talking about like a launch team, not talking about a core team, not talking about a a vision church planting past. Like I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. Let me put it this way. If you were from a land outside of the Fertile Crescent, then the gospel had to cross national borders. It had to cross cultural barriers. If you're from places like the Americas or some parts of Asia, Europe, Africa, and Australia, it had to cross large bodies of water, geographical barriers. If you were reading your Bible in a language other than Greek and Hebrew, you were enjoying the careful labors of translators who have probably gone through the rigors of theological education. You enjoy the labors of men and women who have at times agonized over the best way to translate a particular word or sentence to most faithfully honor God. Some people come from a long line of Christians. And I think that is tremendous. And I hope that line continues for generations. But at some point, someone had to share Christ with your great, great, great grandparents. And that changed the trajectory of your family line for generations. At some point, with God's help, somebody took up the audacious task of starting and nurturing a local church somewhere near where your family lived. They worked to establish these local outposts of the kingdom of God called churches where the gospel could be proclaimed and baptism in the Lord's Supper could be administered and where people could be discipled to live out their faith in Christ to the world around them. People had to travel. People had to give. People had to sacrifice certain worldly gains. Like their Savior, the church before us has had to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And what it has produced is an enduring witness in the world today for the glory of God. Let me get even more specific. Over the past eight years, my sending church has been sending short-term teams to engage a people group in West Africa with the gospel. The trip is expensive. The travel is difficult. They need an interpreter to help them navigate. But on one of the trips, a couple of guys on the team were able to meet with two of the leaders from the village that they have been praying for just been trying to serve and do good works among the people in the village as they would let them. And through the work of a translator, meeting with these two village leaders, the men from the villages said, sirs, we see the rings on your fingers. We understand the value of family and recognize the cost you have taken to be here. We want to hear what you have to say. So they shared the gospel with them. They shared the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And the men from the village seemed genuinely surprised. And so they asked him, when did this happen? Uh, It happened over 2,000 years ago. Why has no one told us? And I think that the church's answer to that is by the sheer grace of God, he's been searching for you. There is not a nation or people that God desires to exclude from his grace. And so here's what I pray the spirit will do in us. I pray that he would help us see the beauty of Isaiah's vision and that as his church, we would continue partnering with God to take up the task of making disciples to the ends of the earth. The posture I'm eager to see God form in us is one that seeks the good of others for the sake of the gospel. In what ways can we do good now in Jesus' name so that others might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven? I mean, some of us will be called to go to other nations. Some of us will be called to return back home. Some will be called to stay right here, doing the faithful work of building up the church through discipleship, through serving the local body. But God is calling all of us to leverage our lives so that more might hear and receive and be discipled in the faith so that they might enter that glorious city of light. Number three, the power to change. How do we even do this? Why is the light of Christ so attractive? Or maybe that's not your question. Maybe your question is, if God is so clearly against me in my present way of life, why why would I turn to him at all? Clearly he wants something to do with me. And the biblical answer is God's covenant of grace. Like, what does that mean? That's it, it, just the, the fancy of saying the gospel, the gospel. So continuing in verse 10, it says, Foreigners shall build up your walls and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath, I struck you, but in my favor, I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually. This is the city. Day and night, they shall not be shut that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despise you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. In these verses, you find the unapologetic nature of God's covenant. Those who come to enter into the city of God serve him. They come to serve him. They they have experienced a change of heart that has led to a change of ways. They don't just become an improved version of themselves. They become a whole new people. What attracts people to the light is the grace of God. He doesn't condone our sin. He holds us to account. But notice that he doesn't move away from us in disgust. In his kindness, he shows us favor. The response is emphatic. There is a constant stream of people flowing into the city of God in this vision. I mean there's so much that could be said here but but i want you to notice in verse 12 that the basis for this relationship god desires for people to live in his presence forever and the conditions for this covenant relationship is not based on merit it's not based on birthright or national privilege it says for the nation and kingdom that will not serve you, you shall perish What these verses mean together is that anyone who earnestly desires to enter the city as a true friend of God may do so. Let me say that again. Anyone who earnestly desires to enter the city as a true friend of God may do so. There is no guard at the entrance of the gate. There's no hostility between God and the nations. People are admitted through the grace of God because of the finished work of Christ. I mean, if you look back at Isaiah 59, 21, it at the end of that chapter uh, that we looked at last week, you see the nature of this covenant. The Lord speaking to Jesus says, my spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. God is promising to himself in Jesus' name that He will bring salvation to the nations. I think about that. God cares about this so much that he promises himself that he will do this, that the light of the gospel in his city will never be extinguished. The new world he is bringing about is too precious to him. He will not fail. Listen, God is pursuing you. He wants you to serve in his holy city. If you don't enter, it's because you stuck out your hand at him, telling him to stop. People accuse God of rejecting them. And we can say he has every reason to. But instead, he comes toward them in mercy. But the reality is, we reject him. We refuse to serve him. What it means to serve God is to take up the task of making disciples. To build up the city of God means to care about the relational and spiritual health of his church and to concern yourself with the lostness of the world around you. That's what it means to build up the walls. That's what it means to serve God. And so at Harvest, we will continue to build our lives and our ministries around the gospel. We want to train up more leaders. We want to plant more churches. We want to baptize more people. We want to disciple members to disciple others and to pray for God to fill the earth with his glory. That's the aim. But what's the next step? Why don't you find some time over this next week to just, just take stock? Just take stock of, of your own life and how you're spending your time. What is there anyone the Lord has already put in your life that you could intentionally help to follow Jesus? I mean, when we talk about disciples, that, that's what discipleship is. is, is teaching, some, intentionally helping someone, spurring them on, helping them take the next step in following Jesus and growing in maturity in Christ. That's all discipleship is. Or is there, is there anyone in your life right now that you could invite to speak into your life in more specific ways to help you grow in following Jesus? You can be helping others grow. You can invite others to help you grow. Is there anything you do regularly right now that you could ask others to join in with you, to do with you? You're like man, I really, I really want to go grab coffee in the morning on Mondays. And I'm probably going to do that. I'm going, to, I'm going to do that probably every week for the foreseeable future. Does anybody else have time to do that? You know, like that, that, that kind of stuff. I'm going to go work it out at the gym. Does anybody want to go work it out at the gym? That kind of stuff. What, looking at your schedule, what, what have you already have built in? What, what can you do? Maybe, maybe it's, you know, I have a lunch hour. Does anybody else have a lunch hour? We live nearby? We work nearby? That kind of stuff. And if you think, I-, I would love to do this stuff. I want to do this stuff. I'm just too busy. My schedule is too unpredictable. Then during this season, pray. Pray short prayers often. Pray for the people God has providentially placed in your life. And if you don't know what to pray, start, start with the, the, the prayers of Paul and his epistles. It's a great place to start. Pray for others. Pursue others. Move toward others. You might be surprised at what God does through your prayers. Do so faithfully. Encourage one another as you go. Number four, the display of God's glory. And this is, we don't have enough time here, but let me, let me just in here. Uh, we're looking, starting in verse 17, it says Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. And instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze, instead of stones, iron, I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your wall salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall be no more, your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down nor your moon withdraw itself for the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan and the smallest one, a mighty nation. I am the Lord in its time. I will hasten it. When you take up residence with the Lord, you become like him. You become citizens of light. You become shining ones because God's glory is on you. His glory shines through you. The ultimate display of God's glory is not that he turns bronze and iron to silver and gold. The ultimate display of God's glory is that he transforms sinful people into his righteousness People who have come to encounter the living God are changed from one degree of, the, of glory to the next by his grace. The more we commune with God, the more we, we become like him. That's his promise to us. And he calls us to commune with him through his church. Each week we gather and we scatter. We gather in multiple contexts along other brothers and sisters in Christ to remember the covenant that God has made with us. The relationship that we enjoy with him. And we scatter each week to be a light to the world, pointing to the glorious realities of God's great grace through Christ until all have heard and Christ returns. Through our life and participation in the church, we get to start enjoying these realities today, but God's not done. One day he will bring to completion all that he has set out to do in Christ. And on that day, he will be with us and we will be with him. No more tears, no more fear. Everything made right. It will be glorious. And so will we, because we will be like him. Christ complete in us. So I invite you to bow your heads to pray. And church at this time, I want to invite you to, to take a few moments right now to rejoice in the grace God is extended to you in the gospel. The gospel is always the starting place that compels us to go share with others. So I want you to take a moment at your seats right now to just pray a prayer of thanksgiving to him. Think about all that he has done for you in Jesus. And for those who have not yet received this message, I want you to know that you can receive the gospel right now. Faith in him is a free gift that you can receive in Christ. If you'd like to receive it, you can pray a prayer like this. Lord, I have pursued a life of sin. Whether I'm coming from near or far, I know that I've been far from you. But God, I've heard this news and I know that you sent your son. I think you're doing something in my heart now. Jesus, Jesus died on the cross in my place and I want to receive this gift in faith. In faith. Grant me this faith that I might take up your work of being a light to those who are far off. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.